Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. We've got a great show, as always, for you here tonight uh, on the uh, blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, I've got a great uh, couple of guys uh, that have been on the show many, many times uh, here to start things off in the Coach's Corner panel, and I'll bring them out here in just a second. And then a little bit later on, my, my good friend uh, is back again this year. This will be, I think, the third time this year. Uh, my good friend, uh, Byron Casper, son, of course, of legendary Billy Casper, is going to be joining me on the second half of the show, so you want to make sure you stick around uh, for that segment as well. Um, but thank you for joining us live here tonight on the, uh, as I said, on the blogtalkradio.com network. Um, just to remind everybody, of course, if you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash live, that will take you to the main page, and uh, we're front and center there from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Um, if for some reason you can't join us live, not to worry. You can just scroll down the page a little bit, and you'll find the on-demand section, and uh, all of the shows are there uh, previously recorded in their entirety. So uh, if you can't join us live, just go there and you'll find the show a little bit later on this evening and you can listen to it and, and catch up. Uh, and you can also find some of the older uh, previously aired shows as well. If you've in, missed a few of them or if you want to hear one again, uh, maybe because we had some great guests or, or uh, something interesting that you want to uh, re-evaluate, uh, by all means, uh, feel free to visit that as, uh, the on-demand section once again. Uh, you can also uh, check us out on iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and now TuneIn.com as well. And again, just type up in the search key, Golf Talk Live, and you can listen uh, under some of those social media platforms if, uh, if you so choose. Uh, you can always call in and speak with any of the guests at any time during uh, the Thursday Night Live broadcast. And that number to call, of course, is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can email me any questions or comments about the program uh, to my email address, and that's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're somebody in the golf industry that maybe you've got an interesting product or service, uh, or maybe you're a fellow teaching professional and uh, maybe you haven't been on the show, or maybe you haven't haven't been on for a while, and you've got something that you want to share with the audience, by all means, feel free, again, to reach out to my email. And again, it's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And of course, I update on all social media, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Twitter, and of course, LinkedIn are the primary social media platforms. So you can look under Golf Talk Live blog uh, or under my personal name, and on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO, and CEO, of course, is in capital letters. And again, thank you for all of the recent followers on Twitter. I appreciate that, uh, as well as on LinkedIn.com. And LinkedIn.com, you can just, again, under my personal name, and it's Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O. All right, as I mentioned, I've got two great guys uh, on the Coach's Corner panel tonight, Chuck Evans and Bill Abrams. Let me just tell you a little bit about each, and then uh, I'll bring them on, and we'll get tonight's discussion going. Uh, first up, of course, is uh, Chuck Evans. He's a uh, Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, as well as one of Golf Digest's top teachers in America. He's also a Top 50 Growth of the Game 
uh, teacher, and uh, also he is the director of instruction at the Emerald Bay Golf Course in Destin, Florida, as well as the owner of, of course, Chuck Evans Golf. Uh, rounding out the panel tonight, uh, another good friend and, and uh, a fellow pro who's been on the show many, many times and always brings his best as well as Chuck, and that's, of course, Bill Abrams. He's a PGA professional and owner and director of instruction at the Golf uh, Solutions Academy uh, in Belmarle Woods uh, in Crate, Illinois. And he's also, you can find him on the uh, Golf Channel Academy with David Impastato at the Heron Bay Coral Springs in Florida, I believe in the latter part of the season. Uh, so be sure you check him out there as well. Um, guys, welcome to Coach's Corner. Hey, thanks, oh, for, thanks having for having us, Ted. Ted. Not a problem. Uh, Bill, that was correct, right? In Normally in the fall, you're down at uh, Heron Bay. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm in uh, Coral Springs. Yep, we have Eagle Trace and Heron Bay okay. down there with Dave Impostato, so... I'm also available at, uh, at at Gateway uh, Country Club in Fort Myers a day or two a week, so I get around. Perfect. Well, you get you get. I was just going to say you get around. All right, guys. Well, as always, thank you for joining me tonight on uh, the Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner panel. We always have a a good time, uh, guys. I want to go. Um, I guess, for lack of ber- uh, better words, uh, a little bit old school tonight. Uh, you know, we always talk about technology and we talk about different things. And even though we're kind of at the midpoint uh, in the season for a lot of folks, depending on where you are, uh, I want to go back to some of the basics. And, uh, and, but I want to do it a little bit differently than what we would normally do it. And, uh, Bill, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you this time uh, in, okay. instead. Um, I, I want to talk to you guys about, first off, about some of the keys to building your swing. And I'm talking about, of course, your, uh, in the literal sense, um, not yours personally, but uh, our average golfers. One of the problems that I find uh, and has been for a number of years in the industry is there's a lot of different swing theories and methods out there, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, but one of the problems is that we have to be careful that we don't sort of pigeonhole everybody into uh, a specific method or uh, ideology, if you will. I think everybody is unique, and we have to make sure that we're building their best swing. So that's what I mean by your swing. So I want to talk about some of the key components, and we know most of them, of course, uh, are going to start with a good grip in that. But I want to just get you to sort of formulate, if you will, some of the key components of a swing and how you go about when you're working, particularly with a new student, and you're starting to work and build their swing, what are some of the key things that you're looking for, and what are the the factors that are involved in putting that swing together for them? Well, Ted, it's a great question, and I think this is a big disconnect in the golf industry now. Um, you know, we've always been told grip alignment stance, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. I teach the footwork first because you can't build a house unless you have a good foundation. Everything roots up from that. If we get good footwork, very good balance, stability in the swing, I found over time that the grip and everything will, will absolutely correct itself. I've seen players with very strong grips with very weak grips. I don't know if that's that's a thing. Michael Heberin, my friend, has always said, I think since 74, 75, there's 109 degrees of variance in grips that have won on the PGA Tour. So there are, there are right. some fundamentals that have to be held true with that. But at the same point, when we learned to ride a bicycle, we didn't learn how to hold the handlebars first. We learned how to pedal. And then once we learned how to yep. pedal, then you didn't even have to hold on to the handlebars sometimes, and then you met the asphalt. But that's another right. story. But uh <laughs> you know, the whole idea is I think that's one of the things that happens so often with players is they get so enamored with uh, the alignment and everything that they forget 
that the footwork is a big part of it. And we, we don't get that good balance and that good stability that builds good support for a lasting golf swing. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, and, and I think that that's right on the money. I think you do have to start really from the ground up. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with you know, learning the grip and, and, and working on uh, what's a good grip for you. Oh, no, 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 um, no, no problem whatsoever with right. that. No. Right. But you're, you're exactly right. A lot of times we see people that have a pretty good grip, and uh, for the most part their posture is pretty good, but they're, they're aimed well left of the tar- their intended target or well right uh, or somewhere – you know, kind of a, a mixture of both. I've seen them all over the place. So uh, obviously getting them set up with a square foundation uh, and, and a good balanced foundation is, is key, and I agree with you 100%. Chuck, what about you as well? Uh, what are your thoughts there? I'm sure you probably agree a lot with, uh, with what Bill's just said, um, but what are your thoughts? If, if you've got a new student there and you're trying to really get them to, to find their swing, what are some of the things that you're going to be looking for, and what are the things that you want them to understand uh, as a general rule, if you will, and then what you want them to sort of experience and explore on their own. Well, so, you know, for years and years, I've, I've put people through a little uh, physical assessment, and then uh, Mike Adams took, took it to a higher degree uh, with his bioswing dynamics. Uh, I first learned all this stuff from uh, Peter Goscu years and years ago. So I put him through a little, uh, a little physical assessment, that tells me and tells them what their body wants to do. And I've had one person, I've had one person in 48 years actually swing the club the way their body wanted it to go. Everybody else is trying to swing like something they either read in a magazine, a video, or something. Uh, But one person, and that's close to 200,000 lessons. So that that to me is, is the first thing that I look at. Uh, I'll, I'll let them hit some shots while I'm, so, while I'm collecting data, and then I'll put them through the physical assessment. And like I said, it, it's very, very few people uh, swing the way their body wants to go. They, they have, they've been trying to train it to swing a different way for years, and that's why their body always fights it, uh, and that's why they never gain better. So, the, you know, I look at, I look at four things, you know, um, do you have enough speed or, you know, or power in your swing to play from the tees you've chosen? Uh, are you hitting it solid? And are you controlling the pace in the path? So you only have to do those things. So if they're not hitting it solid, that's the first thing we work on. And, and, and like Bill said, it is, it is the foundation. If your body is not supporting what you're trying to do, then typically – it's because you're trying to swing a way that your body does not want to swing. So that's why I do the assessments. And then once they hit it solid, we start working on, on face and path. And then, you know, finally is the speed part. So like I was telling you earlier, our arrangement was closed today. So we went up into the men's locker room where we have, you know, a big open area up there and we have mirrors. So, uh, you know, I spent two hours with one of my college players up there we just did mirror drills so we could see what his body was doing, how it affected the club, and how it affected the club delivery. So that's how I work it. And then once I have the, I always do this, the, the, the first lesson with anybody, because if I've never seen them, I don't know what their body wants to do yet. But then they get a, right. then they get a, a checklist of this is what your body wants to do. You know, because a lot of people, 
you know, they'll feel like they, y'all ask them to do these body drills or I'll watch them on video, you know, and they'll sway way over to the right. Yet when I test their body, they're either pivoting around the center or the front leg. I go, okay, well, your body wants to do this, so why are you doing that? You're fighting yourself. And the same goes for how they how they move the club up, how high their hands go. There's a lot of different pieces that go to that. But there's uh, eight different assessments I give them that give them everything you need to know about, about the support of their body, how it wants to move, the path or steepness, flatness, whatever you want to call it, of their club at the top, their, their club face motion coming down into it. I mean, it, it gives them all those, all those pictures and images. So uh, I found over the years that that is, is the best. I used to just start people off with a grip. Well, you know, what's, what's good for one might not be good for another. So, so grip right. can be a basic. Uh, there, is, there is zero players on tour that aim straight. You know, they're, they're either aiming right or left depending on how they curve the ball. Um, and then, and then, the, so, so that wouldn't be a, 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 uh, uh, what do you, what do you call it? What did I just say? Uh, yeah. Grip Key components. Posture. You used to call it gasp. They used to call it. And so, so yeah, so, so the grip, the stance, the posture, none of those things are really, uh, solidified because you see all different ones out there. All from all different players, and all these players in the Hall of Fame doing all these different things. So, you know, when you have somebody, uh, and I made this comment the other day to somebody, they said, well, I want to swing, uh, using technical terms, they want to swing with like a zero swing path that's coming in the ball, mm-hmm. but they want to swing the club six degrees to the right after that. I said, that's not even possible. Because mm-hmm. if you if you had <laughs> Iron Byron, Swing six degrees to the right post impact from a from a zero path, he would become unbolted from the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, so right. so while everybody does have a different grip, a different stance, a different posture, different ball position, I mean those those are all different things, and everybody will have their own grip, their own ball position, their own stance, based on what the information I get from uh, giving them giving those physical assessments. Right. Well said. Um, what do you guys think about, this is something else to it, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, sort of myths, if you will, in, in the golf industry. Um, you know, traditionally, it was always thought that a shorter player um, tended to have a more flat swing, and taller players tended to have more of an upright swing. Um, but that's not necessarily true, as we find now, if we look at some players um, as, as you just pointed out, Chuck, if you look at uh, many of the players on tour, everybody's got different grips, everybody's got, um, you know, different ball positions and so forth. So it's not necessarily true. So is it inherent for us to sort of throw that away and say, okay, just because you're six foot four, um, we shouldn't necessarily, if your body isn't naturally moving in that position, uh, should we necessarily... Uh, expect you to be swinging more on an upright plane or path, if you will. Um, and quite frankly, you might be able to, depending on if you've been fitted properly, might actually have more of a flatter plane or path. Um, Bill, what are your thoughts on that first? And then Chuck, well, I'm going to get you, know, you to respond Again, being a fitting, well. guru, fitting guru, in the past we, we saw that because a lot of shorter players were playing with ill-fit equipment. And a lot of taller right. players were fit and played with ill-fit equipment. 
But I think the biggest key for us as, as coaches is to define what is a proper plane? What is straight back? You know, the, there's no definition out there. We have to communicate to our customers and our players. We have to define what that is because so many people, I want to swing upright. Well, you know, in, in my estimation, everybody thought Ben Hogan was flat. My good friend, the late Tony Holguin, who won the 54 Texas Open, knew him real well. He said, I saw him in the, in the locker room without a shirt on. He goes, if you saw what his shoulders looked like, he said, you'd, be, you'd throw up. He goes, this man was trying to swing mm-hmm. upright, but his shoulders after the accident wouldn't allow him to do that. So how do you define it? I mean, that's the whole idea is what is proper playing, what isn't proper playing. And I think that's where, where players are really getting fouled up, especially with all the Internet and the videos out there. Well, I'm trying to straight, take it straight yeah. back. Well, I see, as, as Chuck said, where you're, you're zeroing out and then taking it to six out after the impact. You know, I'm seeing so many players get disconnected. Their arms are running away from their body because they're trying to do things yeah. that they really can't define and because somebody told them to do that. I've heard all over and over again, i got to flatten my swing. i got to flatten my swing. Well, why? How many players yeah. have really ever yeah. flattened their swing on tour and played better? I mean, I, that's the thing. We don't define things well enough. And I think that's part of the thing is, as coaches, we need to do a heck of a lot better job is defining what we're trying to do, give the players definition, and then they can move forward. The problem is if you say something and say it loosely, they may not catch it real well. And especially, you know, somebody that's overstudied, they may take it the wrong way. So we really have to be very cautious and try to go in that 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 way of getting it to where it gets through to them to put them in the proper, you know, setup position to allow the motion to happen in the golf swing. And that's, you know, we get so balled up into into positions like the plane and where this and this and this has to be. As Nicholas said, it's a game of motion. It's not a game of position. And that, I think that's right. where we, we get fouled up sometimes, not defining and then trying to create a position instead of allow it to happen. Right. Yeah, and that raises a very yeah that raises a very interesting point, uh, Chuck. I'm going to let you respond here in just a second. But you know, if you look at a player like Nick Faldo as an example, who was very mechanical in his golf swing. Um, now it it served him well because that was the type of he was a technical person. He needed to have that information for him to be able to then translate it into an effective swing for him, and it, and it served him well. But for many other players, perhaps whether two players or otherwise getting that technical and, and worrying about getting the club uh, in certain positions or the arms moving in a certain uh, uh, position, as an example, uh, might not serve the average golfer as well. I mean, uh, and again, Nick uh, was able to, to do that <coughs> quite, uh, excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, quite effectively, uh, but it might not serve, um, you know, another player as well. Um, Chuck, what do you think about what I, I said earlier and, and what Bill has said as well about you know, sort of defining based on somebody's build, uh, we sort of, again, pigeonhole them into maybe an upright uh, or a flat, uh, a flatter swing. Uh, is that a wrong approach, and, and what should we be doing instead? Well, and again, I think it all starts with the physical assessment. I mean, you know, Faldo's six foot four, um, yeah. and, then, and, 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 you know, he worked on getting a steeper plane because of the way he was shallowing it coming down. Um, you know, David mm-hmm. wanted him to really, really shallow, he and Nick Price. So their swing looked yep. upright, but it started shallowing before it reached the top. Bryson DeChambeau is another guy that's, you know, that probably has one of the steeper planes uh, out there, 
but yes, you, you, we need to define whatever the plane is. I mean, all the science people will tell you today that that the swing isn't planar at all. There's no such thing as a swing plane, but they call what is what's a what they call a functional swing plane, which is the last mm-hmm. time the shaft is uh, level to the ground before impact, and then level to the ground on the other side. So that's where they're defining it at. Um, but some students, you know, it depends on the player. If they're familiar with, yep. you know, let's say Hogan's plane of glass, because nobody really ever talked about plane until Hogan's book with, you know, with the, with the pane of glass in it. So right. if you look back to all the old instruction books, nobody <laughs> talked about swing plane, you know. They just talked about taking the club mm-hmm. back and swinging it down and through the golf ball. So, you know, you can you can be a shorter player, and again, it depends on your on your assessment, your arms. Uh, look how tall Matt, Matt Kuchar's, uh, six two, six three, somewhere in there, and look how more around his swing is versus say mm-hmm. Brooks Kepka or uh, Dustin Johnson, who are probably the same height. Right. Now, so so the height yep. to me really has nothing to do with with whether a person is upright or flattish. You know, um, to me it has more to do with their arm length, especially from the elbow down to the middle knuckle, middle knuckle, um, which mm-hmm. dictates kind of how high your arms will go. But that to me is, is a defining point, not the, not the stature of the player. Um, because I've got tall players that are a little more around and I've got shorter players that are a little more upright. And again, it depends on how they tested, but you know, you can, you can look at the like we the, the so-called fundamentals of grip, aim, uh, stance, and posture. And again, once you get done through the assessment, that player will have their own fundamentals. It just won't be yes. the ones as described. Mm-hmm. So one one yeah, set doesn't I, I, everybody. Right, and that's really the point that uh, that I was looking for. Uh, well done, guys. Um, Bill, I, I want to move on to, to another area that confuses a lot of golfers out there, and I've sort of put this one, uh, titled this opposite, uh, Opposites Attract. And what I'm talking about here is, um, and we're going to focus on the irons here for a second, but um, I think a lot of golfers misunderstand. You know, obviously the object is to get the ball airborne. Uh, a lot of golfers scoop the ball, so they're trying to sort of hit up. They're trying to help those golf balls uh, get up in the air, and really the opposite is true. They want to really uh, create a swing that hits down on the ball and imparts that spin. Um, so talk about that disconnect a little bit that golfers have and what are some of the common things that you see a lot of golfers doing with their irons um, that that focus on exactly what I'm talking about. Is there more of a scooping action or a, a hitting up on the ball as opposed to what really needs to happen? Yeah, and I think a, a little bit of that goes into, you know, they're right, right on spot, the angle of attack. You know, we see so many players that are that are falling back under their, under their trail foot, trying to lift the ball up in the air, especially newer players, because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't resonate real fast to them that that shift to the forward foot will actually allow the, the club to hit down. Your upper body stays up, your arms will swing down. But what they do is they fall backwards and try to stay down, and then they hit up on the ball. And it, it, it is a little bit confusing. And I, I refer to it as, a, as opposed to hitting down, hitting through. 
So, you know, I'll do a couple little drills to help people do that. I'll have them set up with a normal ball position and a seven iron, and then I'll move a ball maybe two to three inches forward and tee it up. Pull the ball away in the normal position and said, hit that one. And then they kind of learn where that bottom point is past the normal ball, and it gets them to hit through as opposed to up or or down. Because I think sometimes when you say down, they stop the transfer of their, their, you know, their center of gravity or their weight moving to the forward foot, and then all of a sudden that stops right. and they chunk it or they stop back and they scoop and lift. And I think that's the biggest place is, you know, they stop moving through the ball. That motion ends or it's you tap the brakes a little bit, and it creates some varied ball flight with a chunk or a skull trying to lift up. And then, you know, then they're they're thoroughly confused as opposed to hitting through. When they hit through and that motion stays continuing to that front foot, then you end up with a much better outcome. Right. Uh, and you're exactly right. Uh, what people need to understand is, is as uh, you know, was pointed out, uh, it's a motion. It's not, um, you know, you're not hitting at the ball. It's a, it's a motion that you're actually hitting through the ball. The ball, obviously, as we all know, gets in the way. Um, but it's, it's a fluid motion. Um, something else, too, interesting. And, Chuck, I, I want to get your thoughts here as well. Uh, last week on the show, I had uh, a very good uh, golf professional from California, uh, A.J. Bonner who, of course, has yep. uh, looked at things a little bit more right. scientifically. But he talked about something that was very interesting that I guarantee you that 90% of the people out there in, in golf probably don't really uh, fully understand. I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about teach professionals. Um, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> I'm talking about, obviously, our, our players out there. But actually, uh, one of the studies that was done, and he's done some very extensive studies on, on uh, club face positions, and one of the things that was very interesting is they did a study with um, literally hundreds of tour players, uh, obviously was their uh, formula, if you will. And what he found was that a resounding majority, in fact, probably 100% of them, uh, when they were hitting, the club face uh, actually de-lofted six degrees or sorry, seven mm-hmm. to eight degrees uh, every time for every shot. Right. So if you if you had a club that was, as an example, um, that was normally 47 degrees of loft, uh, actually you're de-lofting it to 40 degrees um, right. through impact. And this actually creates that downward strike. And what people don't realize is by actually hitting down – and connecting in the proper spot with the grooves creates that backspin that actually lifts the ball up. And what more importantly he pointed out as well, which was very interesting, is what people don't realize is one of the reasons why that club face needs to de-loft is if you hit it through with its normal um, uh, loft, so say, again, using a club that had 47 degrees loft, if you hit it with that 47 degrees loft, you're certainly going to get it airborne, but you're actually going to lose distance. You're not creating a forward enough forward momentum for that particular club. So that's why you see a lot of times, uh, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons you see a lot of tour pros that maybe hit a 7-iron, as an example, uh, why they're able to hit it so much farther 
than a lot of our amateurs because they're actually de-lofting, creating more forward momentum as opposed to just trying to scoop it and hit it up in the air. So it was very interesting, some of the studies that they've done, uh, and it's been done for quite some time. Um, but Chuck, I-, I want you to, to sort of elaborate a little bit as well uh, about the importance of really uh, getting down on the ball and through as opposed to trying to scoop and help it up in the air. Well, I, I, and, and, you know, I'd have to agree with AJ because uh, 20-some-odd years ago in Atlanta when Puggy Blackman was the uh, men's golf coach and Charlie Reimer and Duvall and Stuart Sink were all there, uh, what we did is we took the average amount of shaft lean from how a club was designed and so let's say it was eight degrees of forward shaft lean as designed. In almost every case, the amount of lean as designed versus impact was double. So if you had eight degrees of forward lean off a of vertical, at impact, good players had 14, 15 degrees of forward lean. But that doesn't mean they're taking deep divots. So what you, what you typically see with a less skilled player when you get them to lean the shaft that much, they'll do one or two things. They'll either hit a huge chunking divot, right? I mean, you've got to call the sod truck right. to fill this thing in. Yeah, or <laughs> they'll top it. Or they'll Pardon top me. it, right? <clears throat> and and yeah. so the way that, the, that the, the way that you don't take those big chunky divots is you can have a lot of shaft lean coming into impact, but you've got to be moving your body in a manner that makes the hands start going up and around while the club head's going down. So that's why they can still hit, you know, shots that spin a lot, still take a thin divot without taking chunky ones. But you go back to the to the right. average player, you know, I've seen lots of average players that, that moved over to their lead side, but their arms were late. So by the time their so by the time their left arm got to let's say level to the ground, the butt of the club was so far away that they actually had to stop their body, flip the club head, because in their mind they're going, okay, my hand's here, my club head's there, I'm never going to reach the ball, so they flip the club head. But then as Bill was talking about, if you are, you know, if you're on your, if you're a back footer, let's say, you know, you've got to get them to feel not only forward, but the up and around as well, because that's what moves the hands forward. I mean, if you just, if you just held your hand straight in front of you, you know, like you're holding a golf club, and you lean the shaft forward, and now you don't move. And, and I say I got my weight forward, and I don't move anything except my hands. Well, my hands are only going to go to about my lead foot, and past that point, they're going to break down. But if I do that same drill, and I start turning my body, you know, around, up, and back, my hands come all the way around with a forward lean, all the way around to my to my heel line. So body motion is pretty important for getting for getting the hands up to where they need to be. And, and you know, we all got tons of drills for that. I build a, I build a wall of sand, and I have them take out the wall of sand. You know, I'll put a, a club on the ground. I have them, you know, make the divot at or in front of that club line. So there's lots of ways to do it, and, and, and they do get it figured out pretty quickly. One of my right. favorites is to put their – I'll take their favorite club, and we'll do this with a wedge first. And I will put it uh, six, eight inches behind the golf ball. So it, it's running, you know, uh, like a tee relative to the target line. 
and I'll get them to set up and go, okay, so that's your club. If you release this too early and you hang back, you're just going to hit your own club. Well, that makes them stop hitting it pretty darn quick, okay? So (laughs) I had a guy break his favorite driver one time, and he just kind of looked at me, and I went over, and I I I said, here, let's do it again. And I put his three wood down, and he didn't hit that one, so. Right. Right. Sometimes you have, yeah, you have to improvise a little bit and to get them to understand. But uh, some great points, guys. And, and, and again, the reason why I want to talk about some of these things is, you know, there's, there's still so many people out there, guys, that are struggling with their golf game and they're right. just not understanding it. And they're, you know, Bill, as you pointed out earlier on, you know, and, and listen, I'm all for uh, golf videos, uh, instructional videos. Uh, you know, obviously we all have an online uh, presence. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is there is so much of it, and you've got to be committed. Uh, you know, you've got to be working with somebody that's, uh, that's qualified, that understands um, the, the key components to, to the golf game, not just the swing and, and some of the methodologies, but also understands how to play the game. Um, because you can, you, know, you can go to 100 different coaches and get all different viewpoints and, and ideas. You've got to find one that works for you. But more importantly, you've got to find one that's going to help you translate what you've learned with them and take that out in the golf course and be able to play. Because that's really what it's all about. You're not, you're not there to learn just to be able to hit golf balls on the range. You're there to learn how to play this game. So you've got to be very, very right. careful with a lot of the information out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why one of the reasons why I do this program is to be able to share some different ideas and different viewpoints. And we may not always agree 100% that the most part, I think we understand uh, one another here on the Coach's Corner panel, but, you know, it, it's not here to say that our way is right or that way is wrong. It's really to, to give people an understanding and uh, an idea of what they need to be thinking about uh, when they're going out there and taking golf lessons and what they need to be mindful of uh, when they're surfing around the Internet. Don't just grab, you know, every video that you see and assume that's the gospel uh, because there's a lot right. of misinformation out there as well mm-hmm. as we all know. Um, Bill, I, I want to get you guys to uh, talk a little bit about uh, th- this next uh, question I've got here. really talks about the sort of the short game facts and faults and even some fiction, a lot of misunderstandings and proper, uh, proper techniques out there. So what I'd like for you to do is just, and again, maybe one or two examples of some short game uh, facts or faults or even fiction out there that you've seen um, that you'd like to clear up to make people understand if there's information that's being circulated around whatever format um, what you want to make sure that uh, somebody that wants to have a good short game what they should be really focusing on and what they should be really saying that's not right what are your thoughts there well I think the first thing is you got to define the shot are we pitching or are we chipping and one of the problems right. that I find when players come to me is they're setting up with a chipping stance to hit pitch shots and vice versa. And, you know, we've yep. seen that happen to some great players in the past. I mean, <clears throat> the, the former world number one got into a chipping stance trying to hit pitch shots that were against what he used to do, and he was hitting skulls and chunks and some weird-looking things. <laughs> so we have to first define the shot we're trying to hit. Because, you know, to me, a pitch shot is more of a mini swing where we're utilizing the bounce of the club a little bit more. We're not going to get, you know, as I call it, leaning and digging so much. We're going to let that club more or less bruise the grass, slide along the ground, allow the grooves to work, and get some loft on it. Now, if we're hitting a running shot, a little bit different story. 
So we have to first mm-hmm. define that, and I think that's where the biggest myth players, you know, they don't really understand the type of shot that they want to hit. So the first thing that I do with a player is I say, well, let's, you know, we're not going to determine the distance. Let's determine the trajectory we need to hit the shot. Now, from there, then we can start to define the shot we have to hit. And I think, me personally, that's the biggest one that I see. You know, we have people trying to hit a sand wedge right along the ground when they have an eight iron. You know, you've got a sack of hammers. Let's use the proper hammer to hit this shot without right. having to create a lot of manipulation and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, adjustment through the shot. And I think that, to me, is the number one error that I see most amateurs play. They don't, number one, know how to use the bounce to loft the ball. And then, number two, they're confusing a chipping technique with a pitching uh, technique. And that really creates a lot of trajectory issues and spin issues. And, you know, and then you get those unmentionable lateral layups that start to happen when you start to, com- <laughs> com- you know, confuse the two methods. And uh, that makes no one happy. Right, yeah, you're 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 exactly right, um, Chuck. I think something else too that uh, kind of falls into the short game, and and I think uh, again it goes under this sort of misunderstanding category. Um, you know, we've often heard, you know, that you can use um, one iron to do a lot of different shots, which is certainly true. You can improvise and you can do that. The problem is, you know, if you're trying to hit a very high lofted shot around the green, you're not going to necessarily use your eight iron. You're going to use obviously a wedge. It might be your sand wedge. It might be your pitching wedge. Um, so a lot of times people get confused with that and they, they think that, well, this is my favorite club. I'm comfortable. And just as Bill pointed out, they try to improvise a little bit too much uh, in the wrong way. And all, obviously all different uh, results can happen and it just adds to that frustration. So what are some of the short game uh, faults and, and, and fiction, if you will, and facts uh, that you come across? Well, uh, most of it would be would, would be with the wedges and especially the difference between a chip and a pitch. In my world, a chip is, is nothing but uh, putting with a lofted club. And pitching is when you start adding, you know, wrist cocking, when you set an angle. Right. So what I do, what I do with chipping I base it off of if you're if you're more than than one pace off the green, that's going to dictate whether it's a chip or a pitch. Uh, so if you're three paces or in and you're chipping, I use a I use a ratio that uh, I got years and years and years ago, and it starts with your lowest uh, or highest lofted club is a one to one ratio. So you're carrying it one part on the green and one part roll. Uh, your next lofted club would be one part on the green, two parts roll. So, for example, if you were, let's say you were 12 paces total from your ball to the to the hole, and you step from your ball to one full pace on the green, and that's two and that's two paces, and now let's say you step from your ball to the hole, and that's six paces. So you go take two into six is three. So you go lob, sand, gap. That's a gap wedge. That's how I teach my stuff to, to the players because they make one simple motion, which is basically from thigh to thigh with this little chip shot. And mm-hmm. if they have a longer chip, they just take a longer club. I mean, you know, it makes sense to me if I have a 150-yard shot, I have a club for that. If I have a 180-yard shot, I'm not going to take that club and hit it harder. <clears throat> I'm going to change club. Right. So to me, to me, you should always be changing clubs when you're chipping. Um 
And and the same thing with, with, with pitching. You know, you want a higher trajectory, take a higher lofted club. You want a lower trajectory, take a lower lofted club. Um, and depending on the trajectory, it, it's all it's all based on carry as well. If I'm hitting my lowest trajectory shot, I'm going to carry it a third on a pitch and let it run two-thirds. The mid-trajectory, I'm going to carry halfway. And the highest trajectory, I'm going to carry two-thirds of the way. Right. Right, exactly, and, and that's what I'm talking about. Is you know uh, there there are so many variations. I mean, we could we could go on all night um, with some of the other uh, uh, short game facts and 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 fiction and, and misunderstandings that happen out there. And a lot of it boils down to proper technique. But again, understanding. And, and Chuck, you uh, also raised a very interesting question. You know, we have 14 clubs in the bag for a reason, and um, that's not to say that. Uh, there might be certain clubs that you may use a little bit more often, depending on what course you're playing on. Um, but right. the reason you have those different courses, as you said, you have different shots. And a lot of players uh, out there, as you said, you know, maybe have a 150-yard shot. So that might be maybe for some player that might be a seven iron. Um, and right. now all of a sudden they've got a 175 or 180-yard shot, and they think, well, maybe if I just give my seven iron a little bit more juice, I can get there. And what often ends up happening is they're not making a, a clean strike and they're either blocking it or they're hooking it depending on their, uh, you know, circumstances. And it, it's just not going anywhere near where their intended target, as opposed to maybe taking that six iron uh, or five for even some players and, and making just a, that normal swing, uh, a good fluid motion uh, swing, if you will, and getting that distance that they need. And I think that's a big problem that a lot of golfers have out there as well, is they're misclubbing themselves. Well, we see that all the time, How, right? How many times do you see a player come up that you're working with and you say, okay, we've got 150 yards to the green, and they come up short every time because they're not hitting right. the proper clubs? Um, sorry, Chuck, go ahead. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's the whole thing, is they don't really know how far they hit each club, and they don't know the <coughs> gap distances between the clubs. So, you know, for me... I like 15 yards between my clubs, right? Some players like eight, some players like 10, some like 12, you know. But for me, I've always had 15. That's what I play to. So when my clubs, when, you know, when, when I change clubs, I mean, you know, Shrixon does a great job. I got uh, uh, this set that I've had now. I took in to see, okay, I'm an old guy. Is there any way that I can make this thing move faster via shaft or something else? And after all the testing, I was using the optimum club for me uh, with the right shaft. Mm-hmm. And so they measured all my clubs. My gap, my gap wedge was one degree off, one degree. Right. So that's how good it, that's how good it came from, from my company, from Shrixon. Um, but right. I would advise players to know, to know how far you hit each club because, and then set your gaps up accordingly. And I know that you've done this, Bill. You'll have players hit their mm-hmm. clubs and you'll have, six yards of distance between the six and the seven. And then you got 15 yards of difference between the seven and eight. There's a point of diminishing return at some point in the set. Yeah. Right. Right. So they're, so they're not spaced evenly throughout it. Um, You know, and, and, and the same thing with my wedges, you know, and everybody's personal that way, but you know, my wedges are always flatter lying wise than my, than my set makeup, the rest of my set simply because they have more loft and they're easier to pull offline. So I flatten them a little bit, right. you know. And and I would suggest right. that, that any player out there, whether you're a 15 or a 20 or a 30 handicap, 
go see somebody and get your <clears> gaps, <throat> get that your gap distance settings, you know, and figure out what they are for you. And again, like I said, right. it could be eight, could be could be less. Mine just happens to be fifteen. So. Yeah, exactly, uh, and that goes back to something that Bill said early on in the segment, and that was really, um, you know, the importance of, of proper club fitting right from the get-go. I mean, right. if you're playing with with right. clubs that, that are are not suited to your game uh, and to your uh, specific uh, features, if you will, um, then you're you're just really, you know, sort of finding a band-aid solution for a lot of the problems. And uh, you'd right. be surprised at how many problems will go away with just uh, equipment that's fitted properly. Um, Bill, I'm going to jump back to you here, and, and this is again sort of falls into the short game uh, area again. But um, and I sort of call this one "Fear Not," um, getting out of the sand. Of course, this is a big, big one for a lot of people, uh, especially our high handicappers, and that is uh, when it comes to bunker play. Talk a little bit about, again, some of the misunderstandings, um, maybe misconceptions, some of the faults and, and, and uh, problems that many of our amateur golfers have when they find themselves in the bunker. Uh, walk us through the process a little bit from, from your understanding of it and what you try to uh, help your students with when it comes to bunker play. Well, you know, the first thing is we got to find, make sure that they have a wedge that has the adequate amount of bounce to make the, the shot work. Uh, because I think a lot of players, when I see it, they get fearful. They are either digging in, they're leaning and digging and taking too deep a divot, or they're stopping and pulling up and then taking too little divot. Um, and I think that's one of the things. The first thing I do, especially with a player that's been really having some, you know, some issues in the bunker, I'll coach them how to hit a bunker shot out of the rough. I, I will have the ball sitting in a, in a pretty deep lie in the rough, and then teach them how to use the bounce first. So that, that bottom of the club, right. that trail edge of the club, is hitting the ground four inches, five inches behind the ball, sliding along the ground. Now all of a sudden they get the concept of how that club is supposed to feel and sound when it hits the turf. Once we get that, then we'll jump in the bunker and we'll utilize the same thing. I'll have them take a few practice swings so they understand what a good divot looks like in the sand. They know what it feels like and they know what that club is sounding like. All of a sudden, we'll add a ball to it. Now I said, just move the sand the same way. Throw the sand out. Let the back edge of that club hit the sand, and poof, that ball, that sand flies out. The ball flies out, and they're like, "Was it really this easy?" I said, "Yeah. It's just you didn't know what you were trying to do. First of all, you were just trying to get the ball out, and there's a there's a really good way to do it, but you were kind of a little misguided in what you were trying to do. And then all of a sudden, they see that, and it, now I've taught them two shots. They get the heavy." You know whether it's Bermuda grass or whether it's it's rye grass or whether it's bent grass up here north, they get that buried rough lie around the edge of the green. Now they can manage trajectory a little better. Plus, they are easy, much yep. easier getting out of the sand. Yeah, that, that's a great uh, a great tip for you golfers listening out there. Um, uh, that's a great example of a, of a really a, a, a solid drill. Um, for those who are a little bit skittish about getting into the bunkers, doing that in, in that uh, rough, I think, is a great idea. Um, and kudos to you, Bill, for, for doing that. Um, Chuck, you know, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, if we need to um, equip golf courses in addition to uh, a rake around the bunker, if we maybe need to do a shovel as well, because I see some pretty deep divots coming out of those bunkers sometimes, um, yeah. which kind of alludes to what Bill was talking about. 
a lot of our players try to move heaven and earth uh, to get that ball out of there, and it's not really the proper technique. So uh, from your pers- perspective, what, what's a, a proper technique in the, in the bunker, and, and how can we help some of our folks that are tuning in tonight uh, maybe get out of those bunkers a little bit easier? Well, I, I think a couple of things lead to the steep. Because, you know, when you're talking to the average player, those are, those are the people we talk about that the club head flies back to hand by their hands and they're sitting on their back foot. Well, if they have the, if they have a little more pressure forward at address to keep it there and they make that same motion that we're trying to get rid of in full swing, that brings a bounce into mm-hmm. play, and that takes, that takes them out of the bunker. But, but the reason I right. see most people are steep is because they've always read that you point your club at the target and you aim your body 30 to 40 degrees left and you swing on your body line. Well, that in itself makes it steep coming into the golf ball. When you when you set up and then you open, you've effectively moved the ball way back in your stance. Now you're swinging out to yeah. end, which is a steeper angle of attack. You know, so I, I have my players just set up square, just like a normal shot. And I have them open mm-hmm. the face, expose the bounce, take their grip. And then when they take it back, I want them to feel like they're opening the face even more. So as they come down, even if they try to flip it or roll it, they won't, they won't get it past where it's going to have that leading edge digging in. Uh, and I use right. bunker boards. I, you know, I take a board and I paint it white. I bury it at the level of the sand. And then I put a, 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 a wedge full of sand on the board with a ball on top of it. And I have them make a swing. And it'll come out every single time. And then you can look at the bottom of their wedge, and that's why I paint it white. You can see, did it hit leading edge? Did it hit on the sole, or did it hit trailing edge? Because those are three edges right. that we have on, on every club. <laughs> and if you're getting trailing edge, you hit, them, you hit three or four shots like that. Then you take them off the board, but you still put the ball on a pile of sand. Now, it's just, just move the pile of sand, right? And then we finally put the ball yep. on in the bunker itself. Draw a little line behind the bunker where you want the club to enter. I mean, that's kind of how I do it. So I, I personally don't like the open thing because it does have a tendency to dig too much. And if they start trying to bring the club more around them from that open stance, that leads to that uh, that lateral shot we were talking about. And we all know that a well-bladed bunker shot goes as well as a good drive on some days. Right. And – I think that's a great point, Chuck, and I think really uh, there's room for a little bit of flexibility with that, and let me explain. I think for some of our, our earlier players and our, our less skilled players, I think that's a very uh, great technique to adopt, and I think as a player becomes more skilled and, and comfortable hitting out of the bunker shots, if they want to open up their stance a little bit, once they understand the proper techniques, I think that's okay. But I, I agree with you. I think that for uh, many players out there that really get confused, um, because golf is really is a game of angles. And once you right. understand the angles and, and why things work the way they do, as we talked about earlier with, uh, with the, the face angle, uh, actually de-lofting when it's coming in through impact, um, once you understand that and how the club actually works uh, and how your body works in connection with that, because obviously the, the club is connected to you. So if your body's working in, in the correct motion, uh, the club is going to follow along. Um, and when those two start to become disjointed, then all kinds of funky things start to happen. So I, I like that analogy that right. you pointed out, that you like to have your students do that with a square 
uh, stance. Um, and again, like I said, uh, I, I think that's a, a great way to start. And if uh, as players become a little bit more accomplished, if they want to uh, open up a little bit and, and become more comfortable in the bunker, I think that's okay too. So um, whatever style obviously yeah. works. And again, this is this is one of the things about the golf industry is there are room uh, or there is room really uh, for for many uh, different uh, options out there. As long as the the basic right. fundamentals uh, remain the same, I think there's nothing wrong with that, and I think that's fantastic. Well, guys, um, it's hard to believe, but we're we're already uh, past our, or coming up to uh, our time, and uh, it's amazing how fast these hours go when you get in, into a, a deep conversation like this. And I always uh, uh, enjoy it very much uh, having you guys on the panel, and and uh, you make it a lot of fun and interesting. And always, uh, I, I feel like I learn something new a little bit each time as well. So. Um, I'm going to give you guys a, a couple of minutes each, uh, and uh, Chuck, I'm going to let you go first, so take a deep breath, and then Bill, uh, let the folks know how they can get in touch with you, and, and any final thoughts uh, before you go. Well, first of all, uh, say hi to Byron for me. Uh, uh, his dad <laughs> and I played His dad and I played in a pro-po at Miami Lakes way back when, and uh, just a quick story. He asked me how my putting was, and I said, "Well, not as good as yours, right?" So, so we beat John <laughs> right. Dan. We beat John. We beat Don January and his team by ten shots. So I still have the picture. Wow. Um, but um, yeah, they can reach me through my website, ChuckEvansGolf.com. Uh, email and phone number are all up there. Um, they can also uh, uh, visit Emerald Bay uh, Golf Club. Uh, it's here in Destin, Florida. They have a website as well. Their information is up there, but mainly you can just reach me right through the website because every, everything is up there. You know, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all under all under Chuck Evans. So, perfect. Um, Bill, what about yourself? Uh, how can the folks reach out? And any any closing thoughts that you want to, or remarks that you'd like to make before we go? Um, yeah, the easiest way to get me is through my website. B it's Bill Abrams, B-I-L-L-A-B-R-A-M-S, golf.com. Uh, real simple way. It's got phone, uh, text, email, all involved right there. I'll be at Balmoral Woods here in Illinois uh, through mid-October, and then I will be at uh, in Coral Springs, Florida through with Golf Channel Academy and David Impostato, and I also do a couple days a week at um, a Gateway uh, Golf Club in Fort Myers as well, which is part of our umbrella there. I just want to thank you uh, very much, Ted, for your wonderful forum and the wonderful opportunity you give us to discuss golf and really clear up the air for a lot of players because I think at times it just gets so confusing. The reason people don't want to take lessons is because they fear they're going to get worse. And I think one of the things with us being able to talk and talk with players makes it more palatable to take lessons. And I thank you very much for your efforts. Well, I appreciate it, guys. As always, as I've said many, many times, uh, I know it's not always easy when, uh, you know, you uh, work all day long on the golf course and, and uh, traveling and things like that. It's not always easy then to have to set aside an hour uh, to do the show. So I appreciate that. So, guys, thank you very much, and I look forward to the next time uh, here on the Coach's Corner panel. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Ted. Appreciate it. All right. All right, that was the uh, – Coach's Corner panel, uh, Chuck Evans and Bill Abrams, both a couple of great professionals. Uh, been here many, many times uh, on the Coach's Corner panel and keep 
managing to come back. So I guess we must be doing something right here in the broadcast. Um, let me just remind everybody, of course, again, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, best way, of course, to find me is to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. And uh, we will be front and center right there on the main page. And uh, you can just scroll down if you're not able to join during the live broadcast, uh, which uh, ends at uh, 8 o'clock uh, central. Uh, then you can just scroll down that same link and you'll see the on-demand section. And tonight's show and all of the other previously aired shows, uh, you'll find them there in their entirety. So you can just click on uh, one of the respective links there and that will take you uh, directly to the recorded version. You can listen there uh, with all of the great guests and and panels uh, that I've had over. uh, This is actually season six that we're in. It's hard to believe, but, um, and this is our 201st show on the Golf Talk Live. So I'm very uh, happy and pleased uh, about that and had a lot of great guests and uh, tonight's no exception. Um, always uh, happy to have this gentleman on. We've become uh, not only on air, but uh, off air, we've become very, very good friends and uh, many a nights uh, over the last six years uh, since I've gotten to know Byron, we've, uh, we've had some great uh, and very lengthy conversations sometimes. Um, we're, uh, as you've obviously guessed or gathered from listening to the show here, uh, I can be a pretty long talker, and well, Byron uh, can do uh, do that uh, justice as well. So, uh, when you get two talkers uh, on the phone, it's sometimes difficult to to end the calls early. But we always have interesting discussions, and and of course, it's not always about golf, but uh, uh, we have some great uh, great stories uh, that we can we can share uh, with one another. So it's it's always interesting. Um, again, also, in addition to going to uh, BlogTalkRadio.com. Uh, network. You can also go to iTunes.com, Stitcher.com, and TuneIn.com as well. And again, just type in Golf Talk Live, and you can listen to the show, of course, on any of those social media platforms. Uh, also, go to Facebook.com forward slash Golf Talk Live blog, and that will take you to the uh, main Golf Talk Live page on Facebook. And I update every week uh, who's going to be on not only the panel, but who my special guest uh, each week is going to be. Uh, you can also follow me. Uh, on Facebook, my personal page. Uh, my name, of course, is Ted, and last name is spelled O-D-O-R-I-C-O. So if you find me there, uh, I'm reached the, I've maxed out the uh, limits of, of uh, connections that I can have, so uh, you'll just have to follow me, but uh, that list, of course, is growing as well. Uh, and you can also uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, always update, everything's automatically updated through Twitter as well all the, the appropriate links uh, to the show. So you can go to Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. And again, CEO is in capital letters. And, and once again, thank you to all of the recent uh, followers uh, on Twitter. Thank you. Um, also, <clears throat> pardon me, you can uh, follow me personally uh, on LinkedIn.com, which is a great uh, business social network, a little bit different than Facebook. Uh, and uh, I post everything there each and every week. Uh, and you can also remember to tune in every Tuesday morning on all of those networks, uh, Blog Talk Radio, of course, the principal network, uh, for the Women of Golf show. And the only difference in the link is, of course, instead of uh, after the forward slash, instead of writing Golf Talk Live, you just put in Women of Golf. And every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, Standard Time, uh, you will find myself and my good friend and co-host, LPGA professional and Legends Tour player, Cindy Miller, uh, there on the air for an hour. Uh, we have a great, uh, a great time every Tuesday morning. And uh, this season, much like the last couple of seasons, we've been featuring uh, many of the winners 
off of the Symmetra Tour, which of course is the lead up to the regular LPGA Tour. Uh, and uh, we've had some great young ladies uh, join us each and every week there. And of course, uh, on the first half uh, hour and then the second half, we have uh, some of our regular featured guests. And uh, last week, of course, we had Louise Ball, who's a, a great LPGA uh, teaching and club professional and uh, very uh, well-known up in the Tennessee area, up in Knoxville. So uh, you want to look for her if uh, you're interested in working uh, with uh, a great LPGA professional. And, of course, my good friend Cindy Miller from uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, she, of course, travels quite a bit, uh, but you'll find her up there in New York. So you just go to cindymillergolf.com and you'll find all great uh, information about her as well. But uh, remember to join us every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, here in the blogtalkradio.com network and also uh, under itunes.com, stitcher.com, and tunein.com. And again, just type in Women of Golf and you can follow us there. Um, but we want to thank, uh, for both shows, we want to thank uh, the audience for faithfully tuning in each and every week. So thanks, guys. Um, as I said, I'm going to be joined here in just a moment. I'm just waiting for him to come on board. My very good friend, uh, Byron Casper. Uh, he's a, a golf professional and a member of the International PJ since 97. And, of course, co-founder, along with uh, his father, Billy Casper, uh, they founded the uh, Billy Casper Golf Schools. And, of course, uh, we lost Billy a couple of years ago. He's no longer with us, but uh, uh, he certainly is in spirit. So let me bring on my good friend, uh, Byron Casper, and we're going to find out what's been happening in Byron's world since we talked to him last. Good evening, my friend. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ted? I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic. I don't know if you've been listening or at all, but uh, I've been letting the audience know that they've got a, a couple of talkers uh, going to be going at it here for the next little while. So uh, we certainly won't run out of anything to talk about. And I reminded them that uh, you and I have a habit of some very lengthy conversations on the phone sometimes at night, uh, uh, solving many of the world's problems. So we'll, we'll try to Absolutely. avoid Absolutely. that tonight. You know, but... I mean. <laughs> Yeah, we'll keep it to uh, to golf uh, golf tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a golf show. So, Byron, I know you've got a lot of things, and, and I'm going to give you a chance to to um, uh, to get to some of the things I know that you're excited to talk about tonight. And and uh, I'm always glad this. I think this is the third time you've been back this year. I had you. You were my first guest this season, coming back in season six. You know, uh, let me just say this real quick. It's hard to believe, but this is the sixth season of this show, Golf Talk Live. So it's really uh, oh, wow. it's really been building. Yeah, it's, I, I can't believe I've been doing it that long. And, and it's five seasons uh, for my other show, Women of Golf, uh, which is, of course, as I mentioned just a moment ago, uh, Tuesday mornings with uh, my good friend, LPJ professional Cindy Miller. So uh, season five and season six, respectively, with the, with the programs and uh, lots of lots of shows under my belt. So, um, But I want to talk about, before we get into... That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very happy about it. And and it's continuing to grow. The audience is, is growing each and every week. It's just amazing uh, the numbers that are coming out. But um, uh, I want to talk about, Byron, a couple of things before we get into some of the stuff I know that you want to talk about tonight. Um, and a, a few weeks ago, I was going to have you on, and obviously I, I was uh, getting ready to go on holidays, and some things came up, and um, we didn't get a chance to have you at that time in early July. Um, but I want to just talk just a few moments about the Open Championship. Of course, I'm talking about uh, at Carnoustie, uh, and this is a uh, you know tournament that your obviously your father played in. Um, give me your thoughts, but uh, also give me uh, uh, maybe some thoughts. What did your dad think about the Open Championship? 
You know, he, um, it was one of his regrets. Mom and I spoke about that just a few days ago, and uh, she had mentioned that one of his uh, big regrets was not taking the time to go overseas in the Open Championship more. And, you know, there was a lot of reasons for that, and, and quite a few of the tour players in the U.S. didn't go over there. Um, and it was primarily money um, because traveling – international back then was hugely costly and the purses yeah. weren't certainly weren't what they were today and he kept being the defending champion of a tournament that coincided here in the u.s um and so that really took out uh, of going over and playing uh, and as he got older and as that tournament and the, the golf the golf world in general became a much more worldwide entity, um, I think he really recognized that that was the one tournament out of everything he had done in his life that he would have liked to have a, a real shot at and going over there more. Yeah, and I know you personally, I know that you were uh, you lived over in Scotland for a number of years. You, you worked uh, in around St. Andrews, uh, so you've got quite a bit of knowledge over there. Just for those that maybe have never been there um, and, you know, are under the impression that golf over there is very much similar to what it is over here. There is a big difference. I mean, obviously we're playing 18 holes and they're playing 18 holes, but the courses are, are noticeably different. Uh, and sometimes you don't always appreciate uh, what you see on, on camera. So maybe just give a, a brief explanation of what it was like over there for, for you and, and uh, maybe some of your experiences, uh, you know, in around some of the golf courses there. Sure, I, I'd love to. Um, in fact, I can't. I can't ever talk enough about Scotland. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed living there. Uh, I have a lot of friends uh, still there that I keep in contact with, um, thanks to the wonders of technology and social media. And um, for me, as an American from the West Coast, it was uh, a real learning curve going to Scotland because golf courses there are, and in England as well, are really nothing like what we are you know, we grew up playing here in America. Um, specifically link style golf courses, which are uh just an amazing test of your game. They're usually close to the water with a lot of breeze mm-hmm. and wind coming off. Uh there's a lot of reeds, uh, heavy rough, um uh, very undulated ways that are mowed down so that the ball rolls. Uh, and just a real challenge when you include the big bar and the, the greens, um, and, you know, just an amazing opportunity to, to play a different style of golf, I suppose, uh, than a, as an American I was used to. Um, and then when you add in the and the history of the game of golf in that country, one thing is apparent when you go to Scotland, and that is it's not just the Scottish courses, the Scottish people that just have a love for the game of golf. And, um, and it really is a unique experience. I would suggest anybody that loves golf um, take the opportunity at some point in their life to go over and play. Carnoustie specifically is a, a a course that has a lot of memories for me personally and because I played that course a lot. I lived about 45 minutes uh, drive from there, and um, it really taught me how to keep the ball low in 30 miles, which is paramount to even And I think the first time I played Carnoustie, Ted, um, I saw a plaque saying that my dad had the low round. And there was a good, nice article that came out talking about that in, uh, I believe, 68 during an Open Championship. And as a you know typical 20-year-old 
feeling very cocky and that I would go out and rip the course <laughs> up. I think I ended up shooting 82. Um, wow. And uh, calling my dad afterwards and, you know, just being amazed at how he could even score on that course. Yeah, it is a different test of golf for sure. Yeah, and, and the courses over here, uh, I mean, certainly there, there are some challenging courses here uh, in the United States, but again, it, it's it's a much different breed, if you will. Um, they've certainly tried to mimic Lynx uh, courses over here in certain uh, areas. Uh, I know in the United States, they've tried to mimic that, and uh, I think in some cases they've done a very good job, but uh, I think it is, uh, I think one of the things that also makes it a little bit different that people may not appreciate in much of the United States uh, particularly in the in the southeast, uh, we can get some pretty steamy, and even in, in the southwest a little bit, some hot temperatures. Uh, over in England and Scotland, uh, it, it's kind of similar, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's more along the lines of San Francisco, where it's a little bit more moderate temperatures. So you don't get really the hot and humidity like we do here. And as you said, you get a lot of those sea breezes uh, quite continually, uh, which presents a, a, a whole different myriad of challenges uh, on, on some tough uh, fairways and greens. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, very much so. The The weather is, I would say that you're being kind by saying San Francisco. <laughs> I would go a little further north, um, and I would say that it is, uh, it's much more similar to a very wet Seattle, Washington. And those yeah. of you that are familiar with Washington, which is a wonderful state where my mother is from, also know that they get their fair share of rain uh, and right. uh, some good healthy weather up there. And I would say Scotland is very much the same. Um, perhaps a little bit more snow in the northern parts of Scotland and in the highlands, but generally the, the mm. country is uh, very similar to Seattle, Washington. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I just want to have a few more uh, questions for you, Byron, and then, like I said, I know there's some things that you want to uh, get out tonight and talk about that you're very excited about. Um, I want to ask you a question. We've talked about this personally, um, uh, you know, off air. We've talked a little bit about it on air, but um, what do you, uh, what do today's golfers, in your opinion, what do you think they want from their teachers? Because the the industry has changed a lot from, you know, when your dad was uh, first getting out there and even when you first uh, started playing golf, uh, golf instruction has, has really changed dramatically. And even the way that people approach the game today, and I'm, excuse me, talking about our amateur golfers, I'm not talking obviously the professionals, um, but what do you mm-hmm. think they want from their teachers today? What do, they, what do you think they expect from teachers today? Well, you know what? It's interesting. I think what they want and what is um, uh, currently available generally is are two total, totally different things. And there's a lot of great instructors out there, but there's also too many instructors, I think, that are willing to really work with anybody regardless of whether or not they can help. And um, and that's something that I, you know, I've had to learn myself throughout my career. And that's something, uh, whether it's personality or knowledge, um, you have to find somebody that you can learn from and that, you, that can teach you. Um, one of the most important things in any learning atmosphere, but, you know, for me, especially golf, is not just the ability to teach, Ted, but also the, the ability for the student to be teachable. And, um, right. and so if a, student, if a student is teachable and really has the desire to learn and to do the drills um, that they're given and to just even dedicate, you know, a small extra 10% to trying to get better, then they are going to get better. And there's a, 
a paramount uh, amount of, of instructors that can help um, help them get better. Um, the fortunate thing yeah. is that there's still some wonderful golf courses, including some great public courses that are available for everybody. And um, and I I'm one of the the golf pros that is of the opinion it's my job to try a little harder in the golf business, but to also help drive golf traffic back out onto the golf courses. Yeah. And, and that's something that's really, um, and, and we know that by the numbers, when we look at the statistics out there that, um, you know, that have been put up by not only several universities like Clemson as, as an example, and I'm sure uh, some of the uh, universities in California have done the same when they've looked at some of the stats over the last uh, decade uh, in, in the golf industry, we've obviously seen a decline. There's a number of reasons and a lot of different theories, uh, but the bottom line is there has certainly been a decline. We've seen a lot of golf courses close up uh, at record pace, um, you know, over the last few years, particularly, and part of it is uh, recession-based, but uh, it's also uh, just not able to get people coming out uh, for a variety of reasons. So uh, definitely the industry, I think it's important uh, and I know you've tried to do this and I try to do this with, with some of the things that I'm doing. Uh, you, you've got to kind of reinvent yourself a little bit. You've always got to be creative and, and come up with new ideas. You can't always just go with the status quo um, because eventually that will change as the markets change. And uh, I think as a golf instructor, if you want to survive or somebody in the golf industry, whatever, even with this show, you know, I've always got to find ways to adapt and, and get into different areas and different markets in order to be able to um, really have the show uh, grow the way I want it to. And uh, if you're not yeah, willing or oh, able absolutely. to do that, it, it yeah, it's going to be detrimental to your career. Um, I, I want to ask you something well, else. Well, you know, uh, on that one, on that yeah, point, go ahead. Jed, let me just bring up one, one quick thing. And that, this year I have done more couples lessons um, than I 15, 18 years of being, and um, and I've really seen um, success both because people like good value for for their money, and by doubling up they can save some money as well. But also it gives them somebody else to hold them a little bit accountable. Right. So I just wanted to mention that because it's something that that I never really did a lot of before. Um, but I'm taking friends and couples out onto the golf. And also doing lessons at the range, and it's it's as a golf professional to see that you know if they play golf even a little bit together, then right there you have a built-in part-time coach and somebody that can hold them accountable for practicing and for getting better, as well as challenging them. Mm-hmm. And those ingredients seem right. to really be working uh, with my students right now. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. Again, you have to be willing to improvise and be creative uh, in your approach. You know, the, the old days of just sort of, uh, you know, showing up at the golf course and opening the doors and hoping people will, will come and show up, um, that's not the case. There might be some exceptions to that rule that might still be able to get away with that, but the majority of golf courses nowadays have to be more uh, creative and inventive in reaching out within their communities and getting people to come out, uh, whether through business networking groups or, or other uh, avenues as well. So it's very important that uh, they look at some other different marketing strategies and opportunities. Um, something else that I want to quickly get your, your thoughts on as well, 
uh, and that is some keys to better lessons. You just pointed out one, actually, but what are your uh, keys, do you think, to, to better golf lessons that, that you're finding some success with and are finding that have, are helping you uh, grow and develop uh, as a, a professional instructor? You know, the um, I, I fall back on what my father and I um, originally did uh, when we started the, the Billy Casper Golf Academy, um, and that is we came up with... Uh, a short list of things that were uh, important and seen and that I had seen around the world that we thought that golfers really needed. And then we basically, we cut them back. So instead of maybe doing four or five things lesson, um, even with something that was somebody that's eager for knowledge, we would cut them back and really focus on say two things and keep each lesson within those parameters. Because, you know, as well as I it's very easy to have somebody that's eager to learn and they're moving along quickly and you want to give them more information and help them. And the next thing you know is they're coming back over and over and over again for the same lesson because it's too much information to grab. And so one of the first right. keys is, other than good value for money, is I would say the second key is absolutely um, dissecting what knowledge you want to give them or that they need help with. And then once you write that, break it down into really incremental little bits and pieces and don't overdo it. Even if it means the student's got to mm-hmm. come back three or four times in order to grasp everything, that's easily worth it because those three or four times to grasp, let's say, six swing changes is nothing compared to trying to get them to understand for coming back for the next year and lesson over and over again. And so breaking it down, working on a few things, separating things like short game, putting, um, full swing. Um, one of the things that I do and very recently, I think two days ago, is I separate the driver. I, I'll dedicate an to just the driver because I believe it's that important. I'm one of those people, there was something recently on social media that said, you know, what's more important, a driver or, or your putter? And we know you have to get the ball in the hole, so your putter is paramount. But I can promise you, if you don't, it will penalize you. Driver of the ball is, is really important and, um, and keeping it in the fairway. And so I'll dedicate an entire lesson just to that one component. One yeah, of the other and, things and I would exactly. say that, that is missed is club fitting. And also, on top of club fitting, you don't have to club fit everybody. You can sometimes look at somebody's equipment and give them suggestions that will enhance the equipment they have, new grips, um, better shafts. Um, if the clubs are able to be you know, manipulated up or down, you can do that as well. I mean, there's lots of things that we can do to help golfers get better. Yeah, and that's a great point because, you know, a lot of uh, some of our older golfers that, uh, especially golf professionals like your father that have been around for years, um, you know, that's what a lot of them did is they they worked on their own clubs. They manipulated and and tweaked them here and there uh, for years. Um, You know, Arnold Palmer uh, did a lot of that. Many of the, the, uh, what I would classify as some of the the more mature golfer, uh, golf professionals, that's what they did. You know, they didn't get new sets Mm -hmm. every year and, and, uh, you know, they, they had to work with what they had. So uh, you're right. Well, they, I mean, obviously it is sense. important to <laughs> – right, right. 
exactly. They, you know, it was working for them and, and, uh, you know, occasionally they might try a new piece of equipment, but more often than not, they went back to, uh, you know, old faithful, if you will. Uh, all right. I want to flip now. Uh, and I've got, uh, something else I'm going to ask you a little bit later on, but, uh, I want to get to, uh, really what's new with Byron Casper. And, and I want to, uh, just very quickly read something, Byron, and then I'm going to get you to expand a little bit on it. Um, you, you're going to introduce tonight something that, uh, you know, to my audience, uh, a new uh, partnership, if you will. Uh, and uh, I want to just read a little bit about it, and then I'm going to get you to, to expand a little bit more. But um, talking about big shots golf uh, is a, a really a, a wonderful concept and a legitimate practice facility uh, and really fun for the whole family. And the Billy Casper Golf Academy has, has uh, as you put it, has done a deal with the franchise owners of Big Shots uh, Golf in Utah. And currently, right now, uh, Utah is uh, uh, is the stage you're working with uh, to do a Billy Gol- uh, Billy Casper Golf Academy in St. George, Utah, and uh, obviously some other Utah locations. And uh, it's your belief that Big Shots Golf and their technology has a winning combination of fun as well as being the first group of its kind to give good golfers a way to practice in a way that will directly reflect their play on the golf course, which is extremely, extremely, I can't emphasize that enough, extremely important. Um, who is Big Shots uh, Golf? Tell us a little bit about them and, uh, and what you're planning on doing with them. Yeah, thanks, Ted. I, uh, I appreciate that uh, that introduction. So, Big Shots Golf is uh, is really an amazing group. Um, the the thing that really got me excited um, when I first was introduced to their technology was uh, one that I, I've used <clears throat> similar um, technology but without the same results. And you know they don't have to use uh, balls with chips or anything else. They've got the ability to have a driving range facility that is going to be as applicable for a golf pro practicing for a tournament as it is for a two-year-old going out with his mom or dad or grandparents for some fun and starting to learn the, learn the game. And I think that that's really the, the dynamic that interests me as, as a family man, as, as a golf pro, is that there's a group that is appealing to that massive, wide spectrum. And um, again, all the way from the pros getting ready for tournaments to you know, little kids, um, and that's why the Billy Casper Golf Academy um, is doing uh, our deal with specifically with the Utah franchise owner of Big Shots mm. Golf, and we're very fortunate to be involved uh, with, again, with the Utah franchise owner for Big Shots, and our first location is going to be in St. George, uh, Utah, and again, it's uh, I, I can't say enough positive about it, but the reason that we're putting our golf school at the St. George, Utah Um, location is because of the legitimacy of being able to practice and give quality golf lessons um, also in a fun, exciting, uh, really pumped up, exciting atmosphere. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting, what I really like about it and is, and I obviously went onto their website and I'm going to give that to the folks here in just a a second, but um, what's very interesting is the fact that they're not just, you know, targeting sort of one area of golf um, uh, or, uh, you know, necessarily the, the skilled only golfers. It's really they're trying to incorporate a family affair, if you will. And really this is a direction I think that the golf industry, um, you know, obviously we've always talked about this over the years, um, but really the golf industry is always sort of specifically targeted um, certain areas or certain demographics uh, in, in uh, society. And now, really, golf is starting to recognize 
that the family unit is really what the target is. It's not just male or female or old or young. It's really the whole family. And we want to get them out to a facility like Big Shots uh, Golf and, and get them out there. And there's something there for everybody. So it's not just a sort of a, uh, a one-size-fits-all. It's, um, uh, it's something that everybody can, can take in. And obviously, that's why you want to partner with them. But um, um, yeah, tell us a little bit specifically. Ted. I mean, I, 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 think yeah, it, I think it's a wonderful concept. And and again, you know, we're partnering with the uh, the Utah franchise owner, and um, and they are uh, of having many locations uh, throughout Utah. And as those locations grow, uh, we will grow with the uh, the Utah uh, again Utah franchise owner. But the corporate um, head, you know, head headquarters I think are um, for big shots, and they. They really are doing some powerful things. Um, I would suggest anybody that is uh, is in one of the areas or states that they have locations that you go and uh, and check it out for yourself. Um, and again, the website is on the information I sent you, Ted. So you'll be able to uh, to give that out to everybody. As far as the golf schools go, and the Billy Casper Golf Academy in Utah with the uh, franchise owner there, they can go on to BillyCasper.com and they'll be getting updates on the facility in St. George, Utah, and the build-out, and when it'll be opening. Perfect. Um, yeah, and so uh, the website's, again, very quickly, uh, bigshotsgolf.com. You can learn more about uh, the concept there and really what, uh, what Byron's talking about, and you can also uh, get some updates also on billycasper.com uh, as far as uh, the build-out and when it's going to be open and, and up and running uh, in St. George. So definitely want to check on that. We'll, we'll keep our, our eyes out. Um, now, something else that you've been, uh, you've been working on, and, and you and I talked about this uh, a little while ago in one of our off-air conversations. You talked about this with something. And, and, and what's very unique about this, um, you know, it's it certainly uh, sort of the, the two components are not necessarily new to the golf industry, but you're sort of marrying them together. And let me explain. Uh, obviously, we're talking about golf instruction, but we're also talking about wellness uh, and obviously fitness and, and health and well-being of everybody. And what you've decided to do, uh, you've decided to open a new golf school called the uh, Casper Swing Lab uh, with the uh, OC Launchpad in Irving, California. And uh, this is going to be actually what, what's unique about it, again, is this is the first of its kind uh, where you're able to combine golf instruction with a wellness center specializing in the body's movements and how to overcome injuries and recover uh, from those injuries and other problems that uh, people, uh, so that they can get out there and still enjoy golf. What I like about this is that you're not just teaching golf at this center or going to be teaching golf at this center, uh, but you're also uh, helping people work through injuries and a little preventative uh, maintenance, if you will, helping them to understand how to avoid some of those in injuries by having uh, a wellness center available as well. So touch uh, a little bit on that as well. Yeah, you know, this is, this is uh, something else that's very exciting that I've been working on with the group in Southern California since uh, really the, the end of last year. Um, I was approached uh, by a doctor, uh, Dr. Jana Van Sertzum, and she's the owner of the OC Launchpad. And uh, she has another practice uh, specializing in physical therapy and in recovery and has worked with quite a few athletes as well and has a wonderful track record. And 
also being a golfer, she was curious as to how we we could implement uh, both a wellness center as well as a golf training facility. And, uh, and and what she came up with and what I've decided to partner with, and we're calling the Casper Swing Lab uh, at the OC at the OC Launchpad is really uh, uh, just really kind of, a, I believe, one of the first of its kind. Uh, we have the ability to not only help recover patients um, at the center uh, with everything from massage therapists to, again, to um, Jana, um, Dr. Vex, who is um, really an amazing um, therapist. And at the same time, we can give golf lessons separate to that, or as you had stated before, talk about body movements and how to be really preventative uh, with the golf swing. Uh, we've got a whole generation of people that are getting older, and they happen to love this <laughs> game of golf, and too many of them are leaving early and um, yeah. leaving the game early when they don't want to. And I've seen all sorts of different um, devices and, and things that help people with injuries play golf. Um, but for somebody that has a fairly minimal injury that should be recoverable from a hip issue or lower back, for them to have to give up something that they love completely is uh, is just really sad to me, as well as I believe sad as it should be for the golf world in general. And so by combining um, state-of-the-art technology as doctors and therapists, we really make an impact in Southern California golf and and help people both, again, recovery, but also prevent injuries that they know they're prone to um, and make it fun for the whole family because we're, we're using full ES golf simulation uh, with our earnest sports. Um, we, we really have a fun, wonderful atmosphere with a built-in gym, stretching area, and, again, all of the therapist rooms. Yeah, and, and it, it's, again, what I like about this um, concept as well, Byron, is we're now getting into something that's become very important for a lot of people out there, not just golfers, but everybody, but obviously uh, being in the industry, we want to focus on the golfers, is, is health and wellness is is a big proponent of, of every day, you know, every day of your life and wanting to be uh, a little more fit and, and wanting to be healthier. And, and we're all, you know, for the most part, we're living longer um, and we want to have that, that quality of life as we get older. And um, you're right. You know, some of our older golfers that maybe have sustained injuries uh, either to golf, uh, due to golf or other areas um, have, have dropped out and, you know, having that access to uh, trained and qualified individuals who can help them uh, work through uh, the other side, if you will, of some of these injuries. And obviously, if they're more severe injuries, um, <coughs> pardon me, then certainly they're going to want to uh, be referred or consult uh, their normal physician uh, about that. But this is nice to have qualified staff uh, in this well wellness center component uh, that can maybe answer any questions or give advice, um, you know, as it goes uh, with some of the issues that, that, you know, our golfers tend to, to deal with day to day. So uh, I think it's a great idea and uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, adding the Casper name uh, uh, to, to that particular organization as well. Well, I, I think I read a statistic somewhere fairly recently that talked about why golfers get injured in the first place. 
we're talking specifically mm-hmm. from golfing. And because you would imagine all all of the walking would um, would kind of offshoot all the twisting and turning, you know, that you do in golf. Right. Because we all know that walking is very healthy for you. Um, and so, you know, as I as I reflect on the need for this wellness center and combining it with with golf lessons and really a one-stop shop for your golf health as well as your body. Um, it brings to mind an example um, I had last week of a, a younger gentleman who was already starting to have some lower back issues from playing golf, specifically because he he wanted to hit every every shot with you know not 100% power. He wanted to put 150% power into it, and he right. was very arms. And over the course of two lessons, I taught him one of the most in golf, but something that too many people don't know, and that is that you're not hitting the golf ball with your arms. You're, you're not swinging at it kind of like a like a crazy guy. You're you're what you're doing is you're trying to rotate nice and smoothly through and use your core. And you know, I always call it a light bulb moment. But when that light bulb went off in his head, um, he started swinging about eighty percent and hitting the ball further. And so that's just right. a simple example of what you can teach somebody that is going to make not just an impact on their golf game, but going to make a huge impact on their body and on cutting down the injuries they're, they're going to get from trying to swing 150 you know, miles an hour at every shot. And, um, and so, again, right. that's just an example, but that's a real-world example of why golf – can cause injuries if not doing it properly. Yeah, and the other thing, too, that people don't realize um, when they're doing something like the example you just gave is what ends up ultimately happening, Byron, is they're they're no longer swinging within themselves. And what happens then when they try to force, um, you know, a swing or, or try to, you know, put that extra zip into it, uh, a lot of times if if the technique is not properly their body becomes disjointed and what i mean by that is there p- becomes a separation in club and body it's no longer working in unison mm-hmm. together and more often than not uh in addition to um you know uh, having some errant uh golf shots um they become more prone to injury as you suggest and and this is why sometimes you know slowing it down and just being more fluid with your swings and understanding really how the body works. This is something, too, I think that a lot of people um, that don't really understand the golf swing and how their body works uh, in its proper form uh, end up falling into this trap. They, you know, start chopping at like a wood chopper or they, you know, they start taking, you know, some unholy swipe at the golf uh, ball thinking that they've just got to murder it in order to, uh, to get it to go very far. And if you look at some of the best golfers in the world, um, certainly they are generating a lot of club head sweet, uh, speed, but it's a very effortless looking swing in most cases. Uh, you, you know, Freddie Couples comes to mind, you know, Ernie Els, uh, a lot of these people that generated a lot of club head speed and got great distance, um, you know, they didn't chop at the ball. They had a very fluid and smooth swing, um, and they swung within themselves. Um, and well, yeah, I think I mean, that all of, you know, all of those guys, uh, right? Were, well, all of the, yeah, yeah, 100%. All of those guys were quite tall. Um, that you mentioned and had the ability to be able to have a nice fluid swing. You know, if you take somebody like 
let's say that's um, under six feet, you know, I don't know, Justin Thomas, but he's about 5'10". Yeah. Um, he turns, so he compensates mm-hmm. for that long swing plane by having an absolutely just super fast turn through the ball and 100% control. Yep. But again, he's able to do that within himself and he's able to generate yes. the speed that way. And so, you know, at, at the end of the day, the golf swing should be a lot simpler than 90% of the world think it it really is. And part of that as golf pros is really our job to simplify this game, um, get back to basics to enjoy it again. Um, and, and whatever that, that is. And, and one of those things, and I might, I was going to say this earlier, you know, if you're 20 years old and you're swinging 150 miles an hour at that golf ball, odds are you're probably not going to have injuries because you're young. But as you get older and as somebody who just turned 50, um, I can you that mm-hmm. not only did that <laughs> foul up my game, but it would really foul up my body. So as you get older, I think it's important to realize that if you put in and get good fundamentals earlier on, then you're really, you know, steering off any issues further down the line. So you get two benefits. You get the benefit of being a great golfer and a much better golfer than you probably thought you could be, and the added benefit of not mm-hmm. injuring your body over the next playing golf. Right. And, and you know, we've seen that time and time again on many of the players uh, you know, both on the LPGA and, and even the PGA Tour, uh, where we've seen them, uh, you know, sustain injuries. And obviously, you know, they're playing a lot more golf than the average uh, high handicapper, so they're going to be more prone to injury. But, um, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, it, I won't say it's genetics, but sometimes uh, you've got some, some physical issues that uh, golfers, uh, you know, uh, have gotten over the years and, and it uh, escalates or, or manifests into something else. So, um, but yeah, you're you're exactly right. Um, I, I just want to very quickly mention Byron uh, something that you'd sent over just to to clarify. Um, if they want to get more information about what we've just been talking about, they can uh, actually send a text message uh, and type Casper C A S P E R and send it to nine zero four zero seven to get updates and a direct uh, direct link uh, to Byron Casper. Correct. Yeah, and, you know, we've also put some videos on there. And, um, and you know, that's called is my digital business card. Uh, it, uh, it's uh, some people that I work with in California uh, at the OC Launchpad um, put that together as a way to be able to engage um, the golfing audience uh, in a much easier and, and quicker way. It's also got some great videos, uh, both for myself uh, as well. One of my favorite things to do sometimes at night is to go over and look at some of the old footage and some of the videos that my dad did um, because it, it, I find it just incredibly interesting that the fundamentals of the golf swing and what you're trying to do with that golf ball hasn't changed. It hasn't changed in the, the 50 years or 40, 40 years that, um, ago that he did, did his videos. And, um, right. and we may talk a slightly different language now, but good swing <laughs> fundamentals have been around um, for a very long time. And so I enjoy seeing those old videos, and I hope uh, anybody that decides to go and check that out uh, enjoys those videos as much as I do. Yeah, and again, uh, if you want to uh, access 
the digital business card, as, as Byron's suggesting. Uh, you can just simply text CASPER uh, to 90407, and uh, you'll be able to get updates and uh, direct link to uh, what Byron's just been talking about. So you can send a text message, CASPER, uh, to 90407 uh, and get access to, uh, to that information. Um, you know, Byron, it, it's, it's always very interesting, and in, in really what we've been talking about here for the last little bit uh, goes to what I said earlier uh, when you came on, and that is, you know, in the industry, you, you have to be willing uh, you know, sort of get outside of that box, if you will, and, and look at other opportunities and, uh, and other ways of, of um, not really reinventing yourself, I guess maybe isn't always the, the correct uh, terminology, but looking at other options uh, as a way of, of reaching your audience and, and also um, being able to um, expand your knowledge, if you will, <coughs> pardon me, um, to, to get that message out there. And, uh, you know, it sounds like some of the, the ventures that you're working on right now with, with um, uh, Big Shots uh, Golf and also with the, uh, the new uh, Casper Swing Lab uh, is, is doing exactly that, you know, incorporating other areas that are not necessarily uh, golf-related but are certainly important components to golf um, with the, uh, you know, with the uh, Wellness Centre uh, and also with the uh, the Big Shots Golf uh, as well. I, I think it's great that you're doing that and uh, and really reaching out to um, the family unit, if you will, and trying to get the family engaged and involved in a fun way in, in golf, and I think it's uh, it's a great opportunity. Well, I appreciate that. I have to make the uh, – I, I do have to make one um, small caveat to that, and that is that I just want to make sure all of <clears throat> our listeners know that uh, the Billy Casper – uh, golf academies uh, have done a deal with specifically with just the Utah franchise owner of Big Shots Golf. Right. Um, and so right. it is just going to be in Utah uh, with that franchise owner for the time being. Um, but that doesn't mm-hmm. take away at all from the value and the wonderful group that Big Shots Golf is uh, across the country. And again, I would urge people right. to go and, and check, it, check it out because it's interesting. And as far as the wellness center, uh, goes, you know, it really is time that we start combining things that are going to help golfers uh, get better in, in our industry. And I, I would like to see it in other industries as well, where it's not just about going and bashing balls for two hours. It's about the whole experience and getting a good workout in, uh, having your health. Um, it, it really is important to the longevity of this game. And I plan on playing this game as long as I can walk. And I know there's many <laughs> love the game of golf that much and so uh, it really is time to start combining because uh, by combining efforts um you know it's that old saying i, I don't know where it came from but um you know uh, uh, helping somebody with their work you know cuts it in half and and that's the world yeah. we live in uh, building each other up trying to help people not just get better but create a lifestyle that not only fits for them but fits for their their you know physical goals as well as what they're able to or not. And um, and so I'm excited with all of that. I'm excited to be able to help people um, in a small way my father uh, wanted before he passed away. And uh, and so I'm very grateful for the opportunity to do these things. 
Well, and we're um, uh, certainly uh, excited uh, for you as well, Byron. Um, you know, I've always, uh, you know, we've gotten to know one another here quite uh, quite well over the last few years since I've been doing the show and had you first on. And we've had, uh, as I mentioned to, to the audience before you came on, we've had many uh, late uh, conversations and long conversations uh, off the air. And um, we've talked about a lot of different things. And, and we obviously uh, both agree on this as, uh, as I stated earlier, you know, the industry has to um, really get outside of the box a little bit um, from some of the traditional. That doesn't mean you have to get rid of it altogether, uh, but you have to find new ways of, of engaging uh, the various communities out there. And you can't just stick with the status quo because uh, the world is changing. And, uh, you know, if, we, if the golf industry wants to be a part of that and wants to grow with, with uh, everybody else, uh, then it has to be willing to adapt and make changes uh, along the way. So uh, it, it's good that you're doing that and you're taking those steps, and, and um, I'm 100% behind you on that. Um, very quick, Byron, we, we've, we're getting close to our, our time here. Gosh, it's, uh, this hour has gone by almost as quick as the, the previous hour. Um, my final question <laughs> I wanted to ask you is if you were to uh, sort of sum it up in, in, in maybe, uh, maybe more in a few words, but a, a couple of words anyways, um, what would you say would be the difference between Billy and Byron Casper? Ted, I, um, for some reason, you you uh, blipped out. Could you repeat that question for me? Yeah. Um, what would you say would be the fundamental difference between uh, Billy and Byron Casper? Um, you said the fundamental The fundamental difference between your dad and yourself. Teaching or just in general? Just in general, what would you say would be uh, would be the difference um, if you were to to obviously there's some obvious differences. I mean, he was a multiple major uh, champion winner and won uh, in excess of, of 50 tournaments worldwide. But um, what would you say fundamentally would be uh, the difference when you think of your father? Obviously, there's similarities, but uh, in in how you approach things. But what would you say would be the differences? You know what? That's a wonderful, wonderful question. Um, I'm glad I had you ask it three or four times so I could think uh, for a moment. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, my 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 father is my hero, and um, uh, for for two reasons, really. Um, I, I've, I I'm old enough to have thought about this enough, and um, the real first reason is because of what he was able to accomplish. Um, uh, as a kid that didn't have shoes until he was six or seven years old, and I literally did not have any any easy life whatsoever as, as a youth and to do what he did and to keep grinding away and become a champion and a legend in golf is amazing to me. But as I've gotten older, the secondary thing, which I think is a, is as a first, is the way that my father was able to combine his love of being a, a dad and his love of people without letting it detract or take anything away from his career, um, how right. hard that can be at, at times as you get fame and fortune. Um, it's something to retain uh, that uh, that person that started that path 50 years ago. Um, whereas my dad, um, he was always like that. He, he always had, it didn't matter what tournament he was playing in, what major, um, if any of his kids needed him, they got him. And so, and, you know, as his son, I'm very grateful for that. As far as the, the biggest differences between us, I um, 
I'm a lot less patient than my father, and that's something that he uh, he taught um, to be more so of. And it's for me, that's a uh, learned, uh, learned behavior that's not quite learned yet. Um, <laughs> right. And um, and so I'm as patient uh, as he is, um, and I also uh, am not quite the people person that he is. Although um, I love love people, and I've made it a personal goal to uh, be as loving and uh, time giving as as he was because um, not only is it important to pass this game and the knowledge that we have on, but it's also good for you and it's good for the soul to actually give uh, more of your time. And something that my dad did a lot of that uh, that I'm starting to learn uh, is, is super important, uh, both for yourself as well as for the people that you're giving it to. Um, the other difference yeah. is um, I'm uh, I'm probably. Um, a little bit less uh, religious than my father, um, but so um, possibly more spiritual, and um, mm-hmm. and that's that that I have focused a lot of attention on in the recent years, um, just closer, and um, and so you know I, I think I'll probably be thinking of your question for the rest of my life, Chad. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And leave it to you to come out with a, a, a pearl like that because um, actually I've never thought about the answer to that question. And so I'm going to be thinking about it a lot. But to, to, I would say very, very much that um, I don't have uh, my father's patience, um, but um, I am learning. And um, and I'm learning to be more, more like him um, every day when it comes to this great game of golf and wanting to leave something uh, behind uh, that is not only good for for people, but good for the game of golf in general. Well, I I don't think you could have given a better answer than that, um, Byron, and uh, I I certainly would agree with you, uh, as always. Uh, I would hope that there would be some differences. Um, I mean, we're all individuals uh, beings, so certainly there would be some differences. But I think um, there's also a lot of similarities uh, and, of course, all good. So uh, I'm sure I have no doubt that your father would be very proud of, of the, uh, the, you know, the man that you're uh, becoming. And as you continue to grow, uh, I'm sure he's looking down and, and, uh, and watching uh, the many uh, changes as you develop and continue on through your journey in life. And, and um, I, I have no doubt that uh, he would uh, be behind you 100%. Um, let me just say I in closing, that, Byron. Yeah, thank you, uh, thank yeah, you so much. No, no problem. Yeah, he, he was. Uh, I, I enjoyed, as I've said many times on the program, I really enjoyed having uh, your father on the show a, a few years back uh, before he passed on. And uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunately part of life that we all have our, our time. Um, but he he certainly uh, not only uh, brought a lot of uh, joy and excitement to the golf industry. Um, but he also gave back of himself, as you said, which was uh, equally uh, and fact more so important than than what he did through uh, his golf game. So, um, on that note, well, Byron, I'm, I'm very uh, lucky, I want to thank Chad, Chad, that, Well, just yeah, real brief on that note. Um, you know, a lot of people when you know when they lose a family member, they feel them <clears throat> at different places or different times, maybe at the graveside or or family something. But for me. Um, it's the most interesting thing because I, I, you know, I can hear him 
making comments on my golf game. So whenever I'm out playing, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because um, he's still there, um, very much so. And right. um, and uh, and so it's uh, it's a wonderful feeling to be able to play this wonderful game of golf and have all the memories I do of my father um, right there in my head uh, as I mm-hmm. not only teach but also play myself. So again, thank you for your uh, for your your kind comment. Well, you're quite welcome. Um, and on that note, Byron, I'm I'm going to have to um, let you go for this evening. But I have no doubt you'll be back before a year's end, and uh, we'll we'll talk some more and and maybe get some updates on on some of the things we talked about tonight. But uh, just very quickly, uh, for those of you uh, tuning in here a little bit later in the broadcast, just to remind you that a couple of things that uh, Byron's going to be working on, uh, BigShotGolf.com is the website you can go and visit, and you'll learn more about the Billy Casper Golf Academy and uh, uh, learn about uh, the new uh, franchise opportunity that uh, they're putting together in Utah only at this point. Um, at the St. George, uh, Utah area, and uh, in future they'll be looking at some other areas as well, but uh, they're partnering up with uh, Billy Casper Golf Academy in Utah, and uh, you can learn more about BigShotGolf.com about Big Shots uh, in general. And you can also go to Billy Casper Golf as well and and, uh, find out a little bit more, again, uh, as Byron is partnering with... BillyCasper.com. I'm sorry, BillyCasper.com, pardon me. Uh, that you can uh, find out about the Casper Swing Lab uh, with the OC Launchpad in Irving, California. Find out when it's going to be uh, open and available. You'll get updates there. And also remember to type Casper and send it. Uh, you can text it, that to 90407 to get updates and a drink link to Byron Casper as well. So uh, visit those websites to get more updates and learn more. And uh, Byron, as always, thank you, my friend, for, for joining me here in Golf Talk Live. It's always a pleasure, and I look forward to our next time together. Yeah, me as well, Ted. You have a wonderful evening, and just good luck with the show. It's it's wonderful, and I love what you're doing for golf. All right. Appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very good friend and special guest, Byron Casper. Uh, again, thank you, Byron, as always, for, for coming on and, and sharing some, some interesting thoughts and, and uh, getting us updated on what you're uh, working on right now. It's always uh, interesting and exciting. Uh, also, a special thanks to uh, Chuck Evans and Bill Abrams for joining me on the uh, Coach's Corner panel uh, earlier this evening. Guys, as always, you uh, continue to bring your best, so I appreciate that. Uh, but most importantly, I want to thank, uh, take this opportunity to thank all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each and every week. I truly get a, a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teacher professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs, and friends like Byron uh, stop by, and it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have really helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. A special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters, Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com, and you can check out some of the great uh, golf courses here in the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, Also, my good friend Meredith Kirk uh, from Myrtle Beach area. Go to meredithkirk.com. She's a great LPGA uh, teacher professional in that area. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thanks for all of your help spreading the word over the years. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Uh, go to ontickgolf.com and you can check out a great line of customized putters. Uh, Sean Kelly from a great social media platform, linkedgolfers.com, and also my good friend Peter Doyle uh, from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you guys for all of your continued support of the show. And on that note, thank you, everybody. I will see you next week with another great round of Coach's Corner and another uh, interesting guest 
uh, right here next Thursday from 6 to 8 Central on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great week.